Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA Podcast, hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring in Eric Spolstra. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, joining me on the podcast this week, you can catch him out every morning, Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 9.30 on Fox Sports 1. He's Nick Wright, the co-host of First Things First, who nowadays you can see with a pretty nice tan post-vacation. What's up, Nick? Good to see you, Mannix, or good to talk to you. How are you, my friend? I am going to be... um, I'm not going to say I'm going to be as well tanned because I don't tan well at all because the of Irish skin. Of course not. Me, I mean, look at you. Yeah, know, everyone it's, knows it's that. Sad. It's not it's, news that you just turned red. People would have guessed that. But I'm I'm getting my two weeks. Like I, I wait every year. Next week is the start of my two-week vacation. I wait every year for these two weeks to just completely disconnect. And so I'm going to try to... Where to, are you going? To, I go to Maine for a while. Oh, that's and a great it, place to get a tan. I mean, it's still like 80 degrees uh-huh. up there. Um, and then I'm going to Ireland for a little while. So. Oh, another great place to get a tan. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you'll come back looking <laughs> just downright Mediterranean. I by the can I, Before we get to basketball, can yeah. I confront you on something? Absolutely. You didn't shave your head. I did shave my head. You buzzed your hair. Uh, you on, did not a- shave your head. I can't believe Dan Patrick let you, let you get off with that. It is, I now know that if you and I are going to make a head-shaving type of (laughs) wagers, I need to have very clear and explicit, not fine print, but bold print. If there is not a Bic razor involved, you did not honor the wager. No, there will never be a Bic razor involved with my head because I am already, I I basically, I'm just hiding out in in my house nowadays, refusing to go anywhere until I can at least put hair gel back in my hair hair gel i mean what oh i mean you you wake up every morning and you feel like a like a real man saying what product am i putting in my hair this morning it's more of a fiber it's more of a fiber that i use oh okay that's that's all right well listen that's fine listen it was your bet with dan patrick you i mean obviously would have lost the same bet with me or thousands of dollars however we would have done it (laughs) and so but that's neither here nor there i just wanted to get that on the record but now that it is your podcast i uh uh, I will cede the floor back to you. My Would friend. you have been willing to grow your hair out for six months? 
I would have wagered. I would have wagered ten years of salary versus one week of salary <laughs> oh my, okay. if it was will LeBron James come out of the East oh because boy. it's free money yeah. each and every time. It's free money for eight years. It's been free money. I tried to tell you this when you were telling poor folks living paycheck to paycheck to book hotel rooms <laughs> and to get their Airbnbs ready. I was trying to tell you this, but you didn't listen. It took Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown. Oh, I think they just missed another three yep. in Game 7 for you to finally realize that, oh, yeah, even without Kevin Love, even down three games to two, even when your second-best player is, I don't know, Tristan Thompson, that you still can't beat LeBron. But thankfully, uh, he's now no longer there, and I know that's not even the big story today. But, yeah, that's a very long way of saying, of course I would have wagered anything mm-hmm. in that regard as long as all I have to win, all I have to do to win is have LeBron win the East. Hey, I was over at that Boston facility last week. Brad Stevens did the podcast. And, uh, they're oh, wow. At the, they're I, had, I at the was bit. out of town. I didn't see. I got to listen to that. Go <laughs> ahead. I'm sorry. They're chomping at the bit to get back in, Nick. They're ready to go. Eastern Conference champs, here we come. Okay, well, that's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that, but I know there's more pressing <laughs> news you want to discuss. Yes, I do want to talk about a guy that we, I feel like we've been talking about um, for the last month and you've been discussing it on the show, uh, Carmelo Anthony, who is free from Atlanta, and he is officially uh, about to be, as we record this, a Houston Rocket. But the more interesting part of this story in his, uh, in his post about this, Adrian Wojnarowski, the great insider uh, over at ESPN, Kind of a, a throwaway line in one of the early paragraphs said the Rockets are expected to bring Carmelo Anthony off the bench. Now, one of the talking points that we've had about this, about Carmelo over the last, you know, six months or so has been his unwillingness to come off the bench. What do you make of the fact that it seems, according to Woj, that Carmelo is going to be a reserve? Listen, I think that that is a great sign. I thought Houston was a great fit for Carmelo, assuming he understood what he was being brought there for. I thought some of the comments he gave Jamel Hill a couple weeks ago were concerning because it seemed like he still didn't recognize where he was at in his career. But the willingness to come off the bench, I think, is critical because it shows that he knows what he's there for. With that said, one of the reasons I thought he might want to go to Houston is because I didn't think they would ask him to come off the bench purely because, like, who who is going to be the other starting forward? Is it going to be James Ennis? Like, we know that Harden and Chris Paul are the guards. We know mm-hmm. Clint Capella's the center, and we know P.J. Tucker's going to start as well. When you lose Ariza and Bahamute, I assumed that if they signed Melo, they would want him to start. I like him better coming off the bench, but just looking at the roster, I'm not sure who that th- who that other starting forward is. I would say it's probably going to be, if this is accurate, I would say probably Ennis and P.J. Tucker as the forwards. Now, that's a bit undersized since both those guys are like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but Tucker's kind of built like a, you know, like a truck. He could potentially be your kind of combo f- power forward um, at that spot. It, it'll be interesting, but I like it because it, at the very least will try to create some defensive continuity. I mean, defense, as much as we like Harden and Chris Paul, defense was the reason that team was where they were last year. They were top 10 defensive team, and that's why they were able to push Golden State as far as they were. By bringing Melo off the bench, not only do I think you maximize Melo, because you don't worry quite as much about how he looks defensively uh, against some of these top-tier forwards, you let him cook, which I think he still will. You let him cook some of those second-unit defenders and average 12 to 15 points per game. But you can keep that defensive identity going by having Ennis and P.J. Tucker, who are both you know, above-average defensive-type players. No, I think P.J. Tucker's an excellent defender, actually. And I yeah. think, here's the thing. We saw Melo be a part of one of the four best defensive units while he was on the court last year in OKC when Roberson was out there. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if Melo's such a terrible defender that you can't put a competent defense together with him on the court. I think if you have, as three of your five cogs, Clint Capella... Chris Paul and P.J. Tucker, you're going to have an outstanding defense those minutes those three guys are on the court. Maybe Ryan Anderson, 
starts for the Rockets early on? I don't know. That would be odd to me because I don't know that he's playable against the Warriors in a series, and I don't know that you want to have to change your starting lineup for the series that's going to matter. Could Gerald Green be the other starter? Mm-hmm. Like the Because I don't think they brought in James Ennis thinking he's going to start. I think they brought him in to uh, have similar minutes and role that Mbamute had, and he obviously wasn't a starter. But I listen— the Rockets are not better than they were last year. That's going to happen when Chris Paul gets a year older and when Ariza walks for nothing. But they're better than they were a day ago by adding Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I would say this about Carmelo. If he is coming off the bench, it means he's accepting certain realities when it comes to to his career. And I was reading this this column on 538 before we, we started recording this about how the Jazz played against the Rockets in that first-round playoff series, the Jazz, or the second-round series, how they played against the Rockets was they went straight at Carmelo on those pick-and-rolls. Oh, oh, oh. You're talking about how the Jazz played the Thunder in the first round? Oh, the Thunder, sorry. I'm, yeah, sorry. Jazz Blanca, Thunder yeah. first Jazz round. Thunder, Go right, ahead. against Carmelo. Jazz yep. Thunder. Um, 1.22 points per direct screen when getting Anthony to switch onto a pick-and-roll ball hitter. That is a huge number yep. when it comes to attacking that. So I, I think if the Jazz can do that, Golden State's going to be willing to do that. So Carmelo's going to have to accept life as end of the first quarter, into second quarter, end of the third quarter, into fourth quarter. If he can do that, I think he can be a major factor for that team and push them back into the conference finals. Here's the thing, and I agree with you entirely, but sometimes when we talk about what you know, what units can compete with the Warriors, who has to be on the court to compete with the Warriors, we disregard the fact that you got to play 95 games before you even get there. Right. And so, like, I'll take Ryan Anderson, who I mentioned earlier. Now, listen, he's overpaid, but take salary out of it. Ryan Anderson is a useful guy for the Rockets to have, even though he can't play against the Warriors. Like, you can have guys that are not ideal matchups for that series, but guys that can still be helpful in your quest to get the number one seed again, which I think will be very difficult. In your quest to get to the Western Conference Finals again, which I think they could do. Like, so, so just because guys can't stay on the court against Golden State. There's not many players in the league who can stay mm-hmm. on the court against Golden State. Doesn't mean they're useless players. So let's just say you mentioned Golden State there. If Golden State suffers some kind of catastrophic injury, maybe two is what it's going to take for them the to... The team bus would have to crash. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's assume that that happens and we get a whole bunch of torn ACLs. Right, yeah. We're, actually, let's just go with high ankle sprains. I feel better talking about those. Like, no no actual serious long-term injuries, just here, just high ankle sprains. I don't. Be, that one I feel more more morally okay discussing. That would be an interesting bus crash. Yes. Like, well, we have got, we've got 11 high guys ankle, with Everyone's high standing in the aisle, it crashed, and they all sprained their ankles. Go ahead. Okay, which team... Team then, if you, if we now know what Houston is, which team would you say becomes the favorite in the West? So we're just if you eliminate Golden State, I yes. would say Houston won the Lakers too. Oh God! What okay. did First someone just all, kick you? Uh, yeah. What did you say? <laughs> oh God! About because like I can't even get into the Lakers yet with you. We're gonna do the Lakers in a minute because okay. that's well. You asked I, me a question. I, I, I said Houston I, won. Okay, all right, Houston, I give you. It's just the Lakers sort of stunned me. But well, who would, I'm curious who would you have after Houston because I feel like. Uh, I feel like San Antonio actually got better yes. because they didn't have Kawhi last year, yes. right? Uh, but I still think there's a I, – I think LaMarcus Aldridge and DeRozan maybe last season we'll look at, and that was their – the best – like they won't have another season better than that moving forward. And so, like, who do you think would be after Houston? Uh, after Houston, I'm taking Minnesota. Minnesota oh, – wow. Yes, because look, you look at the way they played – with how they play without Jimmy Butler, especially in that final stretch of the season, they were ten and thirteen uh, without Jimmy Butler. You flip that around, Nick. Just flip it. Say you're thirteen and ten with Butler back. That's good for fifty wins for that team. That's the third That's the seed. Three seed, yeah. Yeah, in, in in that conference, I firmly believe that a lot of this 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 ancillary noise is just that. That that I don't think it's going to affect them going into next season. That doesn't mean that Butler's going to be there long term. But Butler's playing for a contract. Towns and Wiggins just have to get better. It's just a matter of, of, is it incrementally, or do they take a big jump, especially Towns uh, defensively? That's a team that, if they're healthy, they're loaded. And I'm a believer still in Tom Thibodeau, yeah, the playoff I'm coach. I'm not. I, I think Thibodeau is right now one of their bigger weaknesses. Okay. And and I think that it's it's odd to say, but that team's bad defensively. 
Yes, they have been. Yeah. Like, listen, Wiggins, his profile, worst case scenario, was supposed to be excellent defender. That hasn't turned out to be the case. Carl Anthony Towns does not seem to care. Yeah. And he's got the tools, too. He could be a good defensive it's a sh- player. Yeah, right. There's no reason for him not to care defensively, but thus far to his career, he hasn't. And Jimmy Butler, I. You know, I am worried about the number of minutes he plays per game, like all those guys, and him post-knee. So, like, the Timberwolves, that I did not expect you to say. I thought you might say OKC, Mm. and I can understand OKC because they actually might addition by subtraction without Melo because he wasn't fitting in well there. And I think people forget how good that team was before Roberson got hurt. Yes. Like, I think OKC with Paul George is the unquestioned number two. Steven Adams, who I think wasn't as good last year as I thought he would be, could bounce back. Like, that's a very intriguing team to me. I, I, I would expect Portland to not be as good as they were last year. Like, there's a lot of—Utah, I guess, should be better mm-hmm. because, they, you know, you've got Donovan Mitchell going into year two. But that's why I, I mentioned the Lakers is I don't think there's a team— other. I, obviously, Golden State is the number one and has lapped the field. I think there's a clear number two in Houston. And then I think you can make an argument for a half dozen teams for number three. So not surprisingly, I'm going with the one with the best player in the world. <laughs> not, not surprisingly at all. But it should. you're right. There's a lot of, of, of good teams that could be better uh, in that Western Conference. All right, let's talk about the Lakers, though. Um, a couple layers I want to get to on this. This past week, we got uh, our first look at James in, in a Lakers uniform, some shots of him working out at the facility. He goes by LJ now. I LJ. don't know if you saw that from I saw, Michael. I saw Jordan. Michael, yes. Yeah. Michael called him that. Go ahead. There are people out there that like get offended when you call him LBJ. I think like Chris Broussard actually hates it when you call him LBJ. I think he likes the really? LJ. I think so. I think so. If I remember... Uh, Previous I've n- literally never heard anyone ever call him LJ until Jordan did it in his statement after yeah. President Trump went after him. But neither here nor there. Go ahead. Yes. Well, LeBron, in those pictures we saw, looked pretty big. Looked even bigger than the ones he doctored and, and put on Instagram out mm-hmm. there. But it, it does beg the question about LeBron that we've already heard talk about him at the four. Now I, I've been reading some stuff, but maybe seeing him at the five, the super small lineup. Uh, with this group, what do you think is the best way to kind of deploy LeBron James. Is he a power forward now moving forward? Does he stay at three? How do you think they're going to use him? I know they're saying they're going to play fast, and they're saying LeBron is going to give up a lot of the playmaking duties. All those things, I will believe it when I see it. LeBron James has never played on a team that is top 10 in pace, and he has never been okay giving up the playmaking duties. And so one of the reasons I actually don't mind the Lakers roster construction, the the biggest reason I don't mind it is because it's all one-year deals. You're not going to get great players on one-year deals. Like You just have to recognize that. Is I do think the Lakers potentially recognize something Cleveland didn't, which is if you're going to have flawed players, have them be flawed on the either young, athletic, or defensive side, meaning that's what they can do, as opposed to guys that are just offensive players. Because I believe... LeBron James, just get, having LeBron James on your team guarantees you a top six offense. He's an offense mm-hmm. unto himself. Nobody can be a defense unto themselves. I think you could deploy LeBron as the center. And do you, everyone remembers the Ray Allen game, right? The yep. game. Do, I think you'll obviously remember this, Chris, because you're such a basketball savant, but like they were down, I believe it was nine points going into the fourth quarter of that game. Mm-hmm. And Bosch was on the bench and Wade was on the bench. And it was LeBron and Mike Miller and Ray Allen and I think James Jones and one of the point guards. And it was LeBron and four shooters. LeBron's headband got knocked off. Mike Miller's shoe came off, right? Mm-hmm. And they and they hit all those threes to get back in the game. LeBron is a five with a, like playmakers or shooters around him, I think is an intriguing play to go to. Or, but only for, you know, four minutes here, six minutes there. I don't think it can be your consistent lineup. LeBron is a five with shooters around him. Makes sense. That's what Miami did uh, and Cleveland to some degree. Um, LeBron with as a five with playmakers around him, though. I mean, isn't the point of having LeBron at the five a, a, as a playmaker to create a whole bunch of mismatches at that position? I mean, I don't want LeBron as a five posting up. I don't want him sure. you know, floor spacing. I want the ball in his hands. Uh, that This is my biggest problem with the Lakers. They're going to put him out on the floor, and I tend to agree with you. Like, I'll believe LeBron off the ball, LeBron in the post, LeBron not being the playmaker when I actually see it. And Correct. if it does turn around where they put the ball in his hands, 
what's he going to do with it? I mean, teams are going to double and triple team him on those drives because they don't respect what the Lakers have on the outside. Well, I mean, listen, if you're trying to play minutes with LeBron at the five, then can't you put out there Ingram, KCP, and Kuzma? And there you have three decent shooters. And then you got to figure out who your fourth other guy is. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's Josh Hart. I don't know if Lonzo starts to look more like the three-point shooter he was at UCLA. You you know what I mean? Like, Beasley's actually not a terrible— You could, again, if you're only trying to play four to six minutes a half like this, if that— you can find four decent to above-average shooters on that team. It's not like they're all Rajon Rondo. Right. Well, I mean, I don't. Lance isn't a great shooter either. No, Lance is a terrible shooter. Yeah. No, 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 no. He, he's, I mean, he's not your guy Marcus Smart, but he's a terrible shooter. <laughs> Marcus Smart just shoots more. He just uh-huh. he just keeps going yep. and going. It's, hey, he got paid this summer. Um, all right, so, so my position on the Lakers has been pretty clear. I don't believe the Lakers make the playoffs this year. I think that... Oh they, I think they go, look, this is not a team built to start the year fast. It's the kind of team that if it's going to work, in my opinion, if it's going to work, it's going to take some time for them to gel, to figure out roles, to figure out who plays well together. I think by the time we get to Christmas, Nick, and they go into that Christmas Day game, they're going to be hovering right around 500. And along the same lines of what we were talking about with the you know the teams that improved in the West, I don't think there's enough time when they get a third of the way through the season to make up the ground necessary to make the playoffs. I mean, it took, what, 48 wins, 47 wins to get into the postseason, the Western Conference this past 47. year? I think it's going to take just as many this year. I think Denver's a tick better. Uh, the Pelicans might have taken a bit of a step back. It took that an enormous to- step back. Okay. An enormous, because but, but Denver's not, better. But Denver's better. Sure. So let's slide Denver into that Pelican slot right there. So I think it's still 47, 48 wins to get into the playoffs, and I don't think the Lakers have the firepower if they're around five hundred, like I think at Christmas time, to get into the postseason. Okay, so let's let's address this real okay. quick because I know the West is better than the East and has been for quite some time. But last year, it should be noted, there were two fifty-win teams in the West. And there were four in the East, right? Like we're on the same page there, correct? We, we are. Was the we, we are. Seed at fifty wins behind Philadelphia, the Boston Celtics, and Toronto, and Golden State and Houston were the only two teams to win fifty out east or out west. Pardon me. Right. 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 Okay. What we also have out west is, like you mentioned, or as I mentioned, I should say, a Pelicans team that I expect to be worse. Now they do have one of the five best players in basketball. But I think they'll be worse. If you're telling me a Lakers team that was, what would the Lakers win projection have been if LeBron didn't sign there? Uh, They went from 17 to 26 to 35. So they improved by nine games each of the last two years. Would they be predicted to be a 41-win team? I, I think they'd be close to 500, yes. Right. So you don't think LeBron's worth 10 wins by himself? Um, not with this group right away. What was I, he? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted. Well, look, you. I, I just, I just think that you're plugging LeBron in, into, and, and LeBron's talked about this: the difficulties of bringing a team together in in those early years. You're plugging him into a team with a whole bunch of guys. Look, he has played over the last eight years effectively one way right he's been surrounded by by good shooters Miami was the first one to kind of do this and Cleveland sort of adopted what Miami did what the Lakers are saying and what their moves are suggesting is that we want to play an entirely different way and that's going to take some time to figure out look I I love what the Lakers can be long term I just don't think in this conference there's going to be enough time for them to figure out one of the reasons Nick I think that the Lakers you know, would improve uh, from last year and keep improving incrementally is continuity, is chemistry. Even if the talent wasn't that wasn't at the highest but of levels. But they kept every relevant player to their team. But they're adding a player. Look, you say they want to play, and I agree, they want to play fast. When is the last time LeBron played no, fast? No, he's never played fast. But I just, here's the thing, and I, and I feel like you are the perfect person to ask this because I talked with you on this, on Dan Patrick's show when you filled mm-hmm. in, and on my television show quite a bit about how awful the Cleveland roster was last year absent LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. They won 50 games. If LeBron didn't play for them last year, what do they win? 20? Yeah. 22? 
So last year, he was worth at least 25 wins. This Laker team won 35 with young players that we would expect, absent of LeBron, to get better. Like the idea, I, I, I think people are thinking too hard on this one. Well, no, let me just say this. I, I think you also have to look at the conference in general because, you know, it's, it's a weighted schedule. You play more teams in your conference than you do outside the conference. So, LeBron, as a Cleveland Cavalier, you're able to feast on the, the Atlantas, the Orlandos, the Brooklyns, the Bulls. Whereas in the Western Conference, night in and night out, it's going to be a more difficult challenge. So you're going to lose. You might lose a game, you know, to Phoenix as they're oh, kind of. Hold on a I'm second. just saying a game. I'm, I'm saying early on, as you're trying to put this team together, you could lose a game to the Clippers. You could lose a game to the Mavericks. There is a, a higher likelihood of losing regular season games against lesser teams in the West than there was in but the that's, East. But right, but it, since you're competing against teams in the West for the playoffs, that's true for all of them. And I listen, there were four god-awful teams out East last year. Brooklyn, Chicago, Orlando, and Atlanta. There were four god-awful teams out West last year. Sacramento, Dallas, Memphis, and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Where the, And the again, as I mentioned, after... The, I think the top of the East, it wasn't, like, let me put it like this, of your top six teams in the league, four of them were in the East. Now, the two best were in the West, but I believe Toronto, Boston, Philly, and Cleveland were all better than Portland on down out West. So, like, yes, is is Detroit as the nine seed much worse than Denver as the nine seed? Absolutely. And is Charlotte as the 10 seed worse than the Clippers as the 10 seed? For sure. But is the five-seed Indiana markedly worse than the five-seed Utah? I mean, a little bit. I just, I don't, the idea that LeBron's going to go from eight straight finals to out of the playoffs. I, I If LeBron had signed with Sacramento, then mm-hmm. fine. But the Lake, I think Ingram's a, a good player. I think Lonzo, by the end of this year, will be a good player, not just good for his age. KCP is fine. I actually really like Rondo. I, I know that's a controversial opinion. I've always liked Rondo when he has cared. I think the biggest he question— He doesn't care in the regular season, though. That that the I can tell you from, from talking to people with the Pelicans, the biggest reason they didn't make— what would have been an, a very average offer, the kind of offer they made to Julius Randle, is that they didn't know what they were going to get from Rondo in the regular season. That and that doesn't fair. perform at that level. That's absolutely fair. But I think that they they have uh, their starting. I mean, he doesn't have to be their starting point guard, and it, they they have Lonzo, and I think Lonzo will be. Lonzo was fine last year. I think he was overanalyzed because he struggled so much to start the season. But I just. The, listen, maybe maybe you'll be proven right on this one, but you were talking earlier about shaved head or grown hair bets. Like, <laughs> you want to put, will the Lakers make the playoffs out there? I'll listen to that wager because I would be shell-shocked. I might, my jaw would drop if LeBron James goes from eight straight finals to out of the playoffs. Do you factor combustibility into all this? Like, this is not a great locker room. It's just not. Like, LeBron's there, and that's awesome, and the practices are going to be intense because of the players they brought in. But there's a lot of guys, as we talked about, on one-year deals. And when you have guys on one-year deals who don't have equity in that team, who know just like we do that they're likely looking for another job somewhere else next season, you got a coach that doesn't know his status. We'll get to that in a minute. But do you factor that in to to everything here? The fact that this locker room is a very combustible one. Yeah, I think that is a little overrated in this regard. I don't think I think Beasley's actually a good dude. I think he's disappointing as a number two overall pick, but I think he has recognized where he is with his career. I don't mm-hmm. think JaVale McGee is a bad guy in the locker room. I think you've got two guys, Lance and Rondo. Right. Mm. And if Lance is a disaster, they can just get rid of him. They don't have a big investment there. The biggest issue I think there's going to be is Luke Walton. I think Luke Walton is coaching two guys in Rondo and LeBron that both played against Walton, that were both better than him, and that Mm. both feel like we know more about basketball than he does. That's, I think, the biggest issue for the Lakers to deal with inside the locker room. One thing that I thought was interesting is for all the nonsense surrounding LeVar Ball, when he criticized Luke Walton, 
you didn't hear a ton of people saying he was wrong. Like, they might have said LeVar was being a jerk, but you didn't hear a ton of people with the Lakers saying he was wrong, on or off the record. I I, I don't know if Luke Walton's a good coach or not, and, l- like, LeBron with young, unproven coach, that usually hasn't gone great for the young, unproven coach, except for Spolstra, and that wasn't going great early. Spolstra had to prove himself. And the only reason that was effective in Miami is because Eric Spolster knew and LeBron James soon found out that ownership and management had Eric Spolster's back. That was a huge part of why Eric Spolster worked with LeBron James. Whereas in LA, I don't know if you have that same dynamic. I mean, I think Jeannie Buss likes Luke Walton. She was around when Luke was hired, even if she wasn't running the day-to-day. But Rob Palenka, no attachment to Luke Walton. Magic Johnson, no attachment to Luke Walton. I'm trying to figure out a scenario here, Nick, where Luke is the coach of this team if we're talking this time next year. I mean, they they make the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, oh yeah, like that level of success. But that absolutely could happen, by the way. That I mean, I know you've got them out of the playoffs, but yes. if they end up on the send, opposite, send LeBron to the lottery. Send, if they send him to the end up on the, the opposites, by the way, if the, if they do go to the lottery, I, <laughs> uh, I'd expect the number one pick. That's just kind of how things work. <laughs> but um, if they end up on the opposite side of the bracket of Golden State, like they absolutely could. I mean, there's someone asked me the other day, "What's the Lakers' ceiling?" And the answer is the round they play Golden State. Like, that's their, their ceiling. Their best-case scenario is losing to Golden State. What, whether that be the first round, that would shock me because that would mean they're the eight seed. The second round, which, of course, could be would be in play, or the third round. Like, that's, that's the ceiling. I think the expectation for the Lakers this year should be second round of the playoffs with the Western Conference Finals being a bonus. Yeah, that seems like a lofty goal. The Lakers. I mean, okay, like the the New Orleans Pelicans made the second round of the playoffs with Anthony Davis and some guys. The the Utah Jazz made the second round. No, nah, but playoffs. let me let me just say this about the yeah. Pelicans though. Like like they, you know, and this goes back to to the Lakers, and I'm not sure how that group works. The Pelicans at midseason after Cousins went down. After they made the Miritich trade, they figured out stuff that worked. Now, granted, Rondo turning into playoff Rondo again was a huge part of all of it. But they figured out that playing Anthony Davis alongside a great shooter like Miritich just worked. They got enough shooting out of Drew Holiday, out of some of the other guys. They figured out the chemistry of that team. And I'm not sure the Lakers, in one season with this group, can figure out chemistry enough to win 48 games. Why could they not when you just said the Pelicans did it in half a season? Well, I mean, they had all the other guys for most of it. Like the the guy, these guys were together. Holiday and Davis had played together for a long time. Rondo comes in for that whole season. I'm just saying, Miritich, something clicked there once he came in and became that starting power forward. Yeah, I mean, I just again, we don't have to go round and round on LeBron. Like, I just, I, I, I'm not worried about the Lakers scraping by at 500. Now, I'd be if if people were asking me what are their chances of beating Golden State? Right now they're drawing dead against Golden State. But the whole league probably is drawing dead against Golden State unless there is a fight between Draymond and Bo- and Boogie in which case one of them rolls into the knee of Steph or KD. Like that I mean there's there is no there is no answer for a team that swept the finals as a is now a two-time defending champ and replaced Kevon Looney with Boogie Cousins. Like if, there is no answer. If I made a shaved head bet with you on this, a real shaved head bet, yeah, would you grow a mustache for a month? I, I man, I do a daily television show. <laughs> can I just put up money? No, like, can I no, just can I no, just this wager has to money? Be, this has to be a public embarrassment. What I think you I, and a what mustache. What about like me going? To to one of your silly Celtics games, decked out in a Kyrie jersey or something like I mean, something that like be, that. that. That might be worth it too. I almost that got my be. ass kicked. I don't know if I'm supposed to curse. Yeah, uh, you can do when yeah. I was in Boston for game. By the way, you want to know some bad luck of the playoff games my wife and I traveled to go to separately mm-hmm. and then together. Here are the games we went to. My wife went to uh, Oracle for game one of the Western Conference Finals to root for the Rockets because we used to live in Houston. Mm. The Rockets got beat by a 1,000. I went <laughs> to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. LeBron scored 16 points, and they got blown out. She and I both went 
to Game 4 of the NBA Finals. LeBron heroically did what he could with a shattered hand that almost had to be amputated, but still (laughs) only scored, I think, 24 points, and they got 30 balled. Like, those are the three playoff games that my household spent money on plane tickets for and tickets to go to the game, and that's what it was. The worst luck imaginable. (laughs) Sounds like it. But when I was trying to – I mentioned it because when I was trying to leave – uh, what do you guys call, call that place? The TD, TD Garden. Garden. Yeah. When I was trying to leave TD Garden, man, I it, it was it was harrowing. It was I I almost went back for Game Seven, but I feel like I almost got because if you also remember, Game One of the Conference Finals was on Mother's Day, yeah. so you had a bunch of bad husbands and divorced dads out there. <laughs> They'd been drinking all day. They had they had their little mini Chris Mannixes all fired up. Oh yeah. Oh God, it was a people. It, I tell you, like and and I won't people say people hate me. Yes. I won't say it happens all the time, but I get sometimes when I'm at those games, I'm walking the concourse doing something there. I will get a tell Nick right to fuck off. I, I will I will yeah. get that because they they will see our arguments on TV and then they will. They yeah, will no, no, no. You. not popular in Boston. <laughs> I'm not popular in Boston. It's true. All right, good segue there because I want to talk for a second about Boston. Oh, uh, Jalen okay, cool. Jalen Brown it's comes. Exciting out. to talk about the third best team in the East. Yeah, yeah, you get third best team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Jaylen I'm, Brown kidding, I'm comes, kidding. They're obviously Jaylen, the second best team. Jalen Brown says no question. Celtics will be in the finals. Is Jalen Brown correct? No, of course he's not correct. Now, they obviously have a good shot. I If I right now were ranking the teams in the East, I would go Philly 1, Boston 2, Toronto 3. Oh, okay. I, Continue. Just, I'll I mean, get, if, people, if people want to make the argument that Toronto won 59 games, got better, because I think Ka- Kawhi Leonard's better than DeMar DeRozan, and therefore they should be the favorites, I'll listen to it. If people want to make the argument that Boston obviously has – Gordon Hayward coming back for the full season, along with they'll have Kyrie Irving, you would think, for the playoffs. Therefore, they should be the favorites. I'll listen to that. The argument that I would make is that of those three teams, Philly has the best player in Joel Embiid. I believe by the end of the regular season, they will also have the best guard in Ben Simmons. And I, for all those reasons, I think I, I think high-level talent in the playoffs is what matters more than anything. So I think Philly is the favorite. I also think Joel Embiid can present tremendous problems for Boston's front line now that he has a year of playoff experience under his belt. But I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think folks that are scoffing at the idea that it could be anyone but Boston, I think those folks are crazy. Like Boston's Vegas total... For wins is 57 and a half. Philly and Toronto's is 54 and a half. So I understand Boston's the favorite for most people, but we shouldn't act like there's a giant gulf between any of these three teams. I don't think there's a giant gulf between Boston and Toronto. I think the Raptors got better. I think Kawhi Leonard is a better player in every respect than DeMar DeRozan. Nick Nurse to me is a bit of a wild card because I don't know anything about him as a head coach. Um, and that could be a tough team to coach especially with Kawhi in that contract year. I do think, though... And let me just real quick, I'm sorry, I just realized. I said Joel Embiid's the best player of those three. I think Joel Embiid's a better player than a better player than anyone Boston has. I don't think he's better than Kawhi Leonard. So yeah. I, I just I had forgotten no, when I was fine. doing that. I wanted to correct it, but go ahead. Um, I still think there's a decent-sized gap between Boston and Philly. I mean, I, I'm not sure where you're... And I want you to, to enlighten me here. Like natural development might make Philly a little bit better. Joel Embiid another year, Ben Simmons another year. But are we? You, you don't. Are we overrating the loss of Bellinelli and Ilyasova? I mean, those guys were pretty good in the second half of the season. Yeah, I don't think those guys are critical losses. I think what we saw in that Boston series was Philly had too many guys that I, I, I you could call them, I've heard them called lame ducks. And by that, I mean this, guys that could only do one thing, that if you run them off three-point line, they've got no other way to beat you. Boston, for as much flack as, I've, as I gave some players on their roster, they don't have a single lame duck on their roster. Everyone there is a threat to dribble, pass or shoot even guys that shouldn't be a threat to shoot like Marcus Smart like they 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 are willing to do all three things I think Wilson Chandler is a major addition for Philly I think Markel Fultz is a major addition for Philly and yeah I do think there will be enormous I mean Embiid gave you 23 and 12 last year in 30 minutes a game Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't get better, he just plays 36 minutes is 20% more minutes. 
So on the same production, now we're talking 27 and 15 and damn near one defensive player of the year. I just think he's unbelievable. I also think Ben Simmons will at least attempt some mid-range and three-point shots this year. If not, what the hell could he possibly have been doing this summer? Now, I also that's, think... That's a question. That that's like, That is one of my biggest questions. I have not heard... A lot out of you know Team Ben Simmons. I have like usually you hear what like about you know Team Kylie Jenner. Well, yeah, that I don't know have many sources in that camp either. Um, you know with Fultz, you're hearing about what Fultz is doing, right? He's working with Drew Hanlon. He's trying to get over uh, you know everything that went on last season. I, I don't know about you, Nick, but I'm not hearing a lot about who Ben Simmons is working with and what's going on. Is he dedicated to the three point shot? Is he dedicated to the mid range shot? Oftentimes, not every time. But oftentimes, I hear about this stuff. I mean, what guys are working on, I haven't heard a peep about Ben Simmons. So I haven't either, But I and I don't think you're doing this, but I I don't think it's fair to therefore assume he's not working. No, no, like of course. If, he, yeah. if he's not working, it's a total dereliction of duty for a guy who has MVP caliber potential. I truly believe that about Ben Simmons. I'm not saying he'll win an MVP, but I think his... What is the best case scenario for Ben Simmons? That one at one point in time he wins a league MVP. What's the best case scenario for Joel Embiid? That at one point in time he's the single best basketball player alive. Like that, just like you said, you I think you said the best case scenario for Jason Tatum is a guy that wins a couple scoring titles, right? Like yep. this is if if you're talking about if everything falls right. And I here's my other concern with Boston. How much better is the offense going to be? Because they were the 18th-ranked offense last year, and that was with Kyrie playing in, what, 61 games? Like, how much better—we always talk about you can't have a terrible defense and win a championship, and that's correct— but it's you can't have a mediocre offense and win a championship typically either. Top top five offense. Top five offense, top five defense next year. Okay, well then, so they're going to win 60 games? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, I mean, if that's true, then they'll be the best team in the East. I think you have to remember this about Hayward. When Hayward came in, they went through this all during training camp, I remember, because I was there and I was writing about it. Um, Hayward came in as kind of the de facto playmaker. Hayward was the guy they were going to run the offense through because Kyrie just really isn't built that way. He's more of a scorer than anything else. When Hayward went down, the offense needed to be completely retooled in in ways that I don't think even a lot of people, I don't think most people really know about how they had to change things up offensively without him there. With him back, and assuming he can become a 30-plus minute per game guy this next season, I think that offense runs so much better than it did last year. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think one of the best things about Brad Stevens is he gets the most out of mediocre talent. I also think while we give him credit for that, what we therefore have to recognize is just logically speaking, the upgrade a Brad Stevens coach team gets from media, from average player to all-star is going to be smaller than the upgrade a team whose coach does not get the most out of mediocre talent. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Like, yeah. it, And so I just, I, I think for most teams... Getting Gordon Hayward back would actually, oddly enough, be a bigger impact than it will be for the Celtics, and that's because Stevens is so good. That's mm-hmm. not an indictment on Stevens. It's a compliment to Stevens. I know that might sound a little counterintuitive, but if most guys couldn't, you know, if, if for them they would only get sixty percent out of Jalen Brown as what Stevens got, like I don't think I, I don't think Gordon Hayward. There's much more juice to scree- squeeze from the grape, right? Like he's a guy that he has turned himself into an All Star caliber player. I don't think all of a sudden Brad Stevens is going to turn him to an All NBA caliber player. Like I think no. we know what Gordon Hayward is, and so that's my. That's my question, and that's my concern. And there are just some other minor things. Like, Tatum is obviously going to be better. Like, I got to bake in Tatum's improvement, just like Jalen Brown's improvement, just like I'm doing with Embiid and Simmons. Sure. But there were, like, Tatum right now, this moment, is the all-time NBA leader for corner three percentage. Like, he's not Mm going to get better there. Like, that's just, and so there are, I just, there are things with Boston that I, I think they are, it would not shock me at all if they win the East. Like, that's obviously, I think, the second most likely outcome. It's the the people, like, right now, I think there's a lot of people that would take Boston versus the field, and I think that's reckless. I think when Toronto's as good as they are, Philly's as good as they are, and the best player in the entire conference is in Milwaukee, 
I think it's I think it's dangerous to say Boston's the favorite versus the field. Let me drill down for a second just on I, I'm still a little like if you tell me Toronto is is the threat, I get that because I'm a huge Kawhi guy and I think he's going to have a really effective year. Might start off a little bit slow as he shakes some of the rust sure. off, but midseason, he, I think he's going to be the old Kawhi Leonard. I, I just don't get Philly right now. I don't think they have enough shooting. And, and I think when you put Fultz out there, even if he can be close to what he was, I don't think he comes out as a 40% three-point shooter. I think he's going to have a lot of problems shooting from the perimeter. I don't think Ben Simmons is going to be a three-point shooter this year. I don't think that's a big revelation, but... I just I don't see them making the type of jump that would put them on Boston's level. I mean, Nick, they were they were beaten in five games. They were but, oh, okay. Yes, they were beaten in five games. And to be fair, though, one game of those three was tough. Yeah, no, was there tough. were three games that could have gone the other way. Three Boston. One of them they shot off a cannon. The I guess that was game three, right? Game three yeah. in Philly. One yeah. of them. I, I, I get them jumbled in my head now, though. But Stevens ran some unbelievable out-of-bounds plays to get them a victory, and Game 5 could have gone either way. Like, mm-hmm. there's there, there were three games that went down to the wire, two of which I would say Philly blew. Now, that can be, hey, one team's got a great coach in Brad Stevens, the other team, we don't know so much about their coach in Brett Brown, right? So, like, that's a fair thing to say. But as far as Philly having enough shooting... They from Christmas Day on, this was the best defense in the league. Like over the course of the season, I think they were number two only to Boston. That when you've got just by length and athleticism, arguably already the best defensive point guard in the league in Ben Simmons, and you've got either the best or the second best big man defender in the league in Joel Embiid, that's all you need for a good defense. Like mm-hmm. you don't need anybody else. So the defense is going to be there. And I think Simmons' offense is going to get better. Redick is still there. I like Wilson Chandler. And they're not going to get nothing out of Markel Fultz. Like, I I do think that people would look at this a lot less skeptically if Boston had beat Philly in seven. And I think that series was as close as a five-game series can be, if that makes sense. Like, over the, through three, let me put it like this, through three and a half quarters, Philly was like the win probability was in their favor for four of those five games. Now they couldn't close, and that's a real thing. And Stevens was an absolute wizard with his late game out of bounds stuff and all that stuff he always is great at. And Philly, you know, peed down their legs a couple times. Like that's a real <laughs> thing that happened. I I just think that series wasn't as lopsided as a five game series sometimes is. I don't think it was lopsided, but. You you lose in five games, and the team that you're going up against brings back an all NBA backcourt. Like, I I just feel like that that creates a bigger gap than than what Philly can do to get better. Maybe Markel Fultz comes out and is the guy we saw playing at Washington. Maybe some of these other guys. Maybe Ben Simmons moves forward. Maybe Embiid moves forward. But Boston, I, I just think they're mu- they're much better. I but would say so, this. But though. listen, oh, but but the, the 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 flip side of that is because people do the look at how good they were against Philly, and they're bringing these two guys back, like a, a, as an argument as that. Hey, if anyone can compete with the Warriors, it's Boston. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is a team that beat them in seven without their second best player for six and seven got washed out by Golden State. Like, the gap between Golden State and Cleveland was not a Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward type of gap. Like, it was an enormous gulf, and Golden State got better. And so I just, I I think that we've got to, if we're going to give Boston all this credit for what they did in round two, then we have to recognize what also happened in round three. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say this, too, that home court in the East is going to be critically important this year. I mean, Boston, look, they don't have home court against Milwaukee. They probably lose that series. Um, yeah. In, in in this season, and Boston, by the way, has no excuse not to run away with home court because they, can, they, they basically have a hockey team out there now. They can throw 11, Two 12 guys. Yep. I mean, they can do it. They can throw, and they don't have to overextend guys to win regular season games. You can play Kyrie 30, 31 minutes. Same thing with Hayward. For Toronto and for Philadelphia to get that number one seed, they may have to overextend some guys because they're not as deep as the Celtics are. And that, I think, could be the biggest difference maker in the playoffs because I think a Toronto series could go seven games. I think Philadelphia can push them even further. Home court is going to be huge for whoever is at number one. 
I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, especially Boston. Like, we saw the discrepancy for them offensively home and road. Now, that maybe changes, or it definitely changes, with Kyrie and Hayward there. And you're right. Like, if they had, if they didn't have home court, Milwaukee probably beats them in round one. And if they didn't have home court, Cleveland, oh, Cleveland beat them anyway. But you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and don't forget the Wizards. I, I, I can't even, I had this on the rundown. I can't even entertain you know, the Wizards. I think Milwaukee's in the conversation before the Wizards. Yeah. We've never seen Giannis with a good coach. I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, Budenholzer, for all his flaws as a general manager, is an excellent strategist. He's an excellent X and O's type of coach. They'll be better. I it, just bring up I just bring up Washington because they constantly talk about it. I know, of course they, they do. It, like, it listen, it, if it's true that the Lakers are gonna play LeBron thirty two minutes a game next year, then Giannis should win league MVP. Yeah. The Lakers will be a ten seed. Oh my god. Unbelievable. <laughs> Nick, keep up the great work, man. First things first, uh, FS1, 6.30 a.m. Uh, weekdays. The great show, you and Chris Carter and uh, Jenna Wolf. Always appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And after your tropical two weeks in Maine and <laughs> Dublin, I hope you come by the show sometime soon. I definitely will with a nice, uh, maybe light... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. Talk to you later, Mannix. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Nick Wright for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.